0: listening to the Sermon Podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The Apostle Paul has a tough act to follow this morning. Um, The scripture reading is from Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 33, from the New Revised Standard Version. I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, on some points I have written to you rather boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to boast of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Thus, I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, and those who have never heard of him shall understand. This is the reason that I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, I desire, as I have for many years, to come to you when I go to Spain. For I do hope to see you on my journey and be sent on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do this, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles has come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in the material things. So, when I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will set out by way of you to Spain... And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in earnest prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks for that reading, Jim. Let's hear it for the kids again. That was awesome. You guys did a great job. And I'm only a little biased by the fact that one one of my kids was in there. You know, that has no sway. So our teachings for the next couple weeks are going to be a little bit different. Just giving everybody a heads up now. If you're a regular here at Brockport First Baptist, you know that we've been working our way through the book of Romans for a while now. We are now officially in month seven of Romans, which like, gives me great joy to say for some reason. Maybe it's like 2020 has been so inconsistent. There's something about the consistency of coming back to Romans every week that just warms my heart. Hopefully it warms yours as well. Maybe, maybe not as much. But we've got three more weeks to go in Romans, including today. Um, And we are now in the closing verses of this book, from about the middle of chapter 15 right through to the end of Romans. These are the closing words of the letter. Paul's, like, tying everything up for us, putting a nice little bow on it. And that makes this section of the book a little bit different from what came before. Book of Romans is notoriously hard to read. It's one of the most uh, difficult-to-understand books in the entire New Testament. Uh, If you're new here, ask anyone who's been around, who's been part of this study for seven months, and they'll tell you this is really tough stuff. This is hard. Um, Paul's argument gets hard to follow at times. Romans is a tough book to just kind of take and read. But this last section of Romans is different. As we've worked through this book so far, we've covered a lot of big topics, things like sin and salvation justice, righteousness, holiness, how to live in the world as God's people, what to do about conflict with other Christians, why Christians shouldn't take up arms and try to overthrow the government, some really heavy stuff. But now here at the end of the book, Paul shifts to talk about his travel plans. Check this out, verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, I desire as I have for many years to come to you in Rome when I go to Spain. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints. Paul's giving us his itinerary, right? I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go there, then I'm coming to you before I go here. This is the part of Romans that, like, we usually skip, right? Like, preachers usually just skip, glance right over this stuff. You don't preach on this stuff. If you're brave enough to read the book of Romans on your own, and if you actually make it this far, right, this is where you start skimming. Because come on, who cares about Paul's travel plans from 2,000 years ago? But believe it or not, this final section of Romans is still scripture. This is still God's word, and I might be proven wrong with this. We'll find out in the next 20 minutes. But I believe the Holy Spirit can still speak to us, even in the form of an itinerary. Because, see, this is the section of the book where we get the context of the letter. This is where we get the story of Romans, where Paul kind of pulls back the curtain and reveals what's going on behind the scenes in his life, in the lives of these people he's writing to. And I think we're going to discover together over the next three weeks that that can make this section of Romans one of the most transformational parts of the entire book. So let's dive in, and I actually want to start by talking about letters, because at its heart, the book of Romans is a letter. When's the last time you wrote a letter? Do we have any like avid letter writers in here? Anyone who writes letters a lot? We've got a few, very cool. And I'm not talking about emails, right? Those don't count. I write emails, right? No, we're talking letters. Like, yeah, pen, paper, envelope, stamp, a real letter. When's the last time you wrote a letter? I know for me it's been a while. Like, we're probably talking like fifth grade summer camp level (laughs) since I wrote a letter. Um, I'm a millennial. I'll own it. I don't even think we own a book of stamps. I don't write a lot of letters, but I have written a letter or two in my life. And when you sit down to write a letter, there's a certain template, right? There's a format you follow when you write a letter. Somewhere at the top, you put the date. I don't know if it's left or right, but, but somewhere, somewhere up there, you put the date. If it's a really formal like business letter, you might even put like your address at the top, really fancy. Then you generally open with like Dear Bob or something like that. Then you get the body of the letter. You'll probably close with something personal like, you know, send my regards to the family, thank you for reading, tell mom and dad I said hi, something along those lines. And then you close with sincerely, comma, or your friend, comma, Dan, your name. Does that sound, is that familiar to everyone? Are we really tracking with this? That's the format when you write a letter. There's a template you follow. The ancient world was similar. The ancient Greeks had a very specific way, a specific format for writing letters. We actually have a lot of letters preserved from this time period. The examples we're going to look at today are from Paul in the New Testament. But we know a lot about how people wrote letters back then, and there was a template. There was a format you used. You'd start off by introducing yourself, naming the person you're writing to, and giving some sort of a blessing. So here's an example from 1 Corinthians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, including the saints throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or from Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. No unfaithful saints, they don't get to read it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One more. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother, to Philemon our dear friend and co-worker, Aphia our sister, Archippus our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you seeing a pattern there? Yeah, it's the same every time you name yourself or whoever's writing. You name the person or people you're writing to, and then you give some sort of blessing. This was normal. This is how you opened a letter in the ancient world. It's like the Roman version of Dear Mark. It's basically what this is. So you have the opening, then, just like we do today, you'd have the body of the letter. You'd often close by talking about your travel plans, especially if you were planning to visit the people you were writing to. And then you'd close usually with a personal greeting. Which means that everything we're going to see here, everything we're looking at today is totally normal. When we reach the end of this letter and Paul starts greeting people, he starts naming off all these places we've never heard of, this is what you did back then. This is how you closed a letter. And for me, that actually brings to mind the fact that when we read these letters in the New Testament, we're reading someone else's mail. Like, literally, That's what we're doing. This is a letter written by Paul to the churches in Rome. Not sure what the statute of limitations are on reading someone else's mail. It's been 2,000 years, so I think we're safe. But this is someone else's mail. Paul writes this massive theological treatise to the Christians in Rome, and he closes with his travel plans, which, again, is a totally normal, Expected thing to do. But let's look at those travel plans a bit more deeply. I want to read it again so it's fresh. Romans 15, we're going to start in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed. Basically here, Paul's starting off by talking up the work he's done planting churches among Gentiles, non-Jews. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and as far around as Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Thus I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him shall see, And those who have never heard of him shall understand. Paul's saying here that he has wrapped up this phase of his missionary journey. And now he wants to go somewhere new. He wants to take the gospel to people who've never heard it before. Verse 22. This is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now with no further place for me in these regions, I desire, as I have for many years to come to you when I go to Spain. For I do hope to see you on my journey and to be sent on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Okay, pause. There's an awful lot there. A lot of places, a lot of names of places that we are not familiar with. But if you look at the front of your bulletins, I made you a map. <laughs> this, should hopefully, this should hopefully help. Um, everything Paul names is listed here. Um, it's going to be on the screen, so you can see it up here as well. For the folks who are watching the stream, I believe the tech people can put it um, on there as well. But Paul's missionary work, so most of the churches he's been planting, are in Macedonia and Achaia. Modern-day Greece, basically. He's also planted some churches in uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He doesn't mention those. Um, He's probably in Greece when he writes this letter. All that work is now coming to a close. The churches Paul has established there are self-sustaining. They don't really need him anymore, and so he wants to take the gospel somewhere where it's never been heard before, and he has set his sights on Spain, He's going to run down to Jerusalem first to drop off an offering he's taken for the, from the churches in Greece. More on that in a second. But after he goes to Jerusalem, he's heading to Spain. Now put yourself in the Mediterranean world 2,000 years ago. Super easy to do. <laughs> Kidding. If you're going to take a trip from Jerusalem to Spain, there's one obvious major port to stop at on the way. Anyone want to guess? Rome, yes. Paul is coming to Rome. He's coming to visit these Christians he's never met before. He's got to swing down to Jerusalem first, but then he's heading to Spain via Rome. Are we following this itinerary so far? Is this like clear, where we're at? Perfect, maps. I want to highlight two important things that are super easy to miss in this section. And then we'll talk a little bit more about all this. First is in verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem in a ministry to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, think Greece, have been pleased to share their resources with the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. This was a really bad time to be living in Jerusalem. We know that from history. We're probably in about the mid-50s of the first century, and we're about 10 years out from the Jewish-Roman War. This is going to be a major war. It's going to be terrible. Jerusalem is going to be totally destroyed. The temple is leveled, and the situation right now in Jerusalem is dire. They're in a really bad famine, food shortage that lasted almost 10 years. There's a spirit of revolution in the air. Violence has been breaking out in the streets. Lines are beginning to be drawn. Sides are being taken, you with us or with them. There's no food, and people are arming themselves. Tensions in Jerusalem are high. And so Paul has taken up a collection, an offering basically, money from these Christians in Greece Gentile Christians that he is going to take to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. At a time when the tensions between Jews and Gentiles have never been higher. And Paul's writing to these Christians in Rome. We've seen this throughout this study. There are Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Rome who, have, who are not getting along. And so Paul says, oh, and by the way, before I come to you, I have to swing down to Jerusalem because I've taken up an offering from these Christians in Macedonia who want to share with their Jewish brothers and sisters. It's easy to miss, but it's this one last little poke, a little subversive jab to these Christians. You Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome who aren't getting along, You Christians who are dividing yourselves into your neat little camps, you're weak and you're strong, you Christians who are refusing to worship together, you Democrat and Republican Christians who are at each other's throats because Caesar says it's an election season. Doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to let these divisions define us anymore. Look at your fellow Christians in Macedonia and Achaia, this outpouring of generosity and love for their enemies, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, left, right, doesn't have to define you anymore. It's one little th- subversive thing that's happening here. Another comes right before all this, and it's in verse 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, I desire, as I have for many years, to come to you when I go to Spain. For I do hope to see you on my journey and to be set on by you once I have enjoyed your company for a little while. I hope to see you and to be sent on by you. Where's Paul ultimately trying to go? Like, where's his end goal, the final destination? You can yell it out. Spain. Spain. <clears throat> it's an expensive trip. How's he going to get there? Who's going to, like, support him on this missionary endeavor? Who's going to uh, bankroll financially this expensive trip to take the gospel to Spain? He's hoping it's the Romans, right? I hope to be sent on by you. That's like a not-so-subtle way of asking for money, right? Paul is hoping that these house churches in Rome are going to support him financially, be a sort of home base as he takes the gospel to Spain, which makes the book of Romans hands down the weirdest fundraising letter I have ever read. Like, has, have you ever, like, given money to a cause, maybe, like, a missionary or a nonprofit or donate to, like, a political campaign, and then you wind up on the mailing list? Has this ever happened? Anybody in here? I see some people nodding. This, is, this has happened to Aaron and I. We've supported some missionaries, some nonprofits. And so every now and then we get a fundraising letter, a, a letter raising more money. They're always the same. Starts out talking about, you know, all the good things they've been doing, all the, all the good productive work they've been doing with your money. Then it, like, paints a compelling picture for what's next, what they're hoping you'll support. Then you get the ask, right? Will you continue to support our work of, you know, whatever it is? I've gotten a lot of these letters. I've written a few of these letters, actually. But I have never in my life received a fundraising letter that started with, like, 12 chapters of doctrine. That's kind of weird, right? Which, again, important to remember, we're reading someone else's mail. This is a window into a very different time, a very different culture, and Paul is a very different sort of missionary. But at its heart, the book of Romans, one of the longest letters in the New Testament, is not just a theology book. This isn't just a bland treatise on doctrine. This is a missionary letter. Paul's writing to these Christians in Rome to introduce himself, share with them about his work, a little bit of his theology, in hopes that they will support him as he takes the gospel to Spain. This is a missionary letter. And here's the sad part of the story. It's a little tragic. Paul never made it to Spain. He got arrested On this trip to Jerusalem that he's writing about, that he asks them to pray over, Acts chapter 21 tells the whole story, actually. Paul went down to Jerusalem. He dropped off this money. He hung out with the Christians there for a little while. And then he went to the temple, where the temple authorities seized him, put him in chains, and handed him over to the Romans. Paul never made it to Spain. He did wind up in Rome. Paul was put on a boat as a prisoner. This is, again, in the book of Acts, chapter 29, I think. And he sailed to Rome as a prisoner to await trial. There was a shipwreck on the way. He survived. But then Paul made it to Rome, and he would live out the rest of his life either in prison or under house arrest in Rome. He never left the city. Which means that these Christians Paul's writing to, most of whom he had never met before, would become his support system. When he was under house arrest, these are the people who came and visited him. When he was thrown in jail, these were the ones who brought him food. Because in a Roman prison, they don't feed you. So if you don't have friends to bring you food, you starve. These are the Christians who would minister to Paul for the last decade or so of his life. They were friends to him. They would support his ministry of writing letters back to the churches he had founded in Greece, the letters that make up like half of our New Testament. I have my Bible on here. This is not an apple. endorsement. <clears throat> There's a story behind this letter. And we find that story in the travel. If you grew up in a church that preached a lot on Paul's letters in the New Testament, you were probably taught to think of Paul as a theologian, right? He was a scholar, and he wrote these letters so that we could read them today and get our theology from it, make sure our doctrine is right. But Paul was not some stuffy intellectual writing from an ivory tower. He was a pastor and a missionary writing from prison. And it's not theology, not doctrine that's going to change our hearts and transform us. It's stories, like the story of Romans. Trust me on that one, by the way. I've dedicated my life to studying theology, to studying doctrine. If you're looking for transformation, you probably won't find it there because it's the stories that change us. Like the story of a God who liberated his people from slavery just to have them rebel over and over and over again. The story of a God who took on flesh and dwelled among us, a God who walks with us, who talks with us, who does life with us, a God who even died for us so that we could have life. Today is All Saints' Day, it's a holiday that Baptists don't really get too into. But this is a day to remember the stories of saints who came before us. The stories of those heroes of the faith like Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Dorothy Day, John Lewis. Even the stories of local heroes much closer to home. Ed Deichler, Sue Edmonds, Peg Johnson, Janet Carter, the stories of people who built this church, who laid the foundation for the work we're doing today. Even the story of a saint like Paul, a man whose heart was initially set against God's people, a guy whose job it was early on to round up the Christians and hand them over for execution. A man who had a very dramatic conversion experience. Going on to become a leader in the faith he formerly persecuted. And a missionary who dedicated his life to sharing that faith with outsiders. Those who didn't belong. Paul's story is a story of someone who followed God to the very end and whose life with every twist and turn and tragedy along the way points us to God's faithfulness. Even when things don't work out the way you planned, even when you're at the end of your rope and your hopes are dashed, the story of a God who turns up at our darkest moments to dispense grace and love and provision That's the story of Paul, and it's the story of Romans, and we find that story right here in the travel plans. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for always walking with us. Thank you for the stories of Paul and these other great saints of the past who continue to inspire us, encourage us, and remind us of your faithfulness today. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook, at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.